You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. everybody grand rising and good morning to all of you out there welcome to the morning update show i'm your co-host trey holiday uh of course as we said yesterday omari is not here right now busy out there doing a bunch of production but i will say that we have a bit of a shorter show today a couple of our guests that we intended to be here both of them uh had some accentuating circumstances so we're sending love out to you uh we're working on rescheduling them but we are so grateful to have you all here today and i'm also grateful because in studio later on in the show, I'll get to talk to J.R. Rhodes, a singer, songwriter, and dreamer. You guys can catch her at Northwest Folklife Festival coming up this weekend. Also, uh, of course, we got to just start our show all the way right. We want to thank you all for watching with us right now. Uh, go ahead. Right now is a great time for you to tag and share the stream. Please tag and share the stream with people that you feel could benefit from culturally relevant news emanating from right here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we also want to give a big shout out to our sponsors over at the South Seattle Emerald and uh, our partners over at KBCS 91.3. Appreciate both of you for your partnership. Uh, of course, right now, if you can't watch our show, you can also listen to us anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network. Omari said there's over 200 different podcast platforms and we are on them all. So if you guys are, you know, in your car, on your way to work, um, you know, at your desk and you can't quite watch, but you want to listen, put your headphones in, look up Converge Media Network on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you know, this is something that's so real. I dealt with it a bit this week. Both of my boys are sick. Uh, I'm talking about hereforuswa.org. If you want information around COVID that is culturally responsive and relevant to you and your community, check out hereforuswa.org. They were intentional to connect with Black content creators, Black community members, share their stories around not just hesitancy, but their whole story for how they got vaccinated. And, uh, you know, listening to these stories they really are uplifting because they come from, you know, our community. And honestly, a lot of people have been hesitant about COVID. We've seen all of these different regulations loosening, tightening over the year, over the last two years. So I will say that it's no uh, surprise, I think, to any of us that there are people out there that are still hesitant. But COVID is alive and well. And when both of my boys got sick earlier this week, I was like, Hey, now, you know, we got the home test. It wasn't COVID. It's just a cold. But every time I think any household is dealing with a cold, first thing you think right now is, is it COVID? And so, you know, you have some of those earlier tests around like, wait, can you smell? Can you taste anything? Um, you know, I know that me and my parents and my kids, we were doing that at first. But, you know, to be honest, it's now taking on all these different variations. So uh, I'm not surprised that some of you still out there may be hesitant, but we want you to know that it is alive and well, even still. And so we want you to be safe. We want you to do what you can to be safe. Okay. So check out here for us, and shout out to the department of health for uh, their work on that site. Um, 
the next up that we have coming up, it, it, you know, this is exciting. Uh, Salman, it's very exciting. Anytime we get to add a show right here to Converge. And our guy, Deontay Damper, has now officially joined the Converge Media family. Let's check out a little bit of what he had to say about his new show, We Live in Color. Creating this platform is going to give a better opportunity for people to hear our stories, for uh, to hear their stories as well, Way better ways to advocate. I think um, advocacy is not it's not just pride month community it's not just when we celebrate because the people that are putting on these community events during pride we are going through people are going through some things you know we want to make sure that we're in a space where we're where we're in a safe space all the time let alone don't write, write come reach out to me just during the policy how can you help me grow as a community person i've been a part of organizations once pride month went in what went, went in they were like okay well we don't need you no more or, or okay, minimize the gay the gay ish for a little bit. Like minimize yourself now. There's no need to talk about. There's no need to talk about HIV. We already celebrated Pride. There's no need to talk about prevention and community. We've already celebrated Pride. You've already had your month. I was a part of different organizations where it was it was so Pride. Pride is when you're going to do the work. But after that, we kind of want you to be a little silent. And and I. I remember how hurtful that was to me and other queer community members that had other other sectors that we had to do calls to action to. Man, you know, he is really keeping it real right there. And, you know, the greatest thing that I appreciate about uh, Deontay sharing this is that we oftentimes we just don't have the spotlight on uh, on our LGBTQ plus community. And I really appreciate him for, you know, being open to the concept of sharing not only his lived experience, but those that he knows in this community. And, you know, in black community, we talk about this often. And I think that we've dealt with, you know, these harsh kind of, you know, camp culture and all this other stuff. But uh, for us, you know, look, if you go out these doors of your home, if you go out into those streets and into the public and you got a skin tone that's in any shade of mine, I don't care how light, I don't care how dark. At the end of the day, you are known as a black person. So for me, that's always been the, the sense of, you know, connectivity. Never, ever did it matter to me and to a lot of the organizations I work with around, you know, uh, if you were a homosexual or how you identified sexually, that has nothing to do with it. We're talking about black liberation. I really appreciate what he's saying there because, you know, far too often we see there's this uh, level of tokenism uh, in our community. We deal with it as black folks. And I know clearly from what he just said and from other accounts I, I know of that people in, in our LGBTQIA community, they deal with it as well. And it is deplorable, to be honest, right? You got to accept somebody for all of who they are. There should never be an opportunity or a time when, you know, organizations or, you know, uh, institutions or, you know, individuals are saying, okay, you know, now enough is enough. Let's go ahead and mute that part of you. It's ridiculous. You know, it, you, it's not something that you can mute. And ultimately, I think it's on us to really showcase examples of what it looks like to love one another, to move in love and compassion, and to be there for everyone. So Deontay, my brother, I'm so glad that you are out here and have joined our family. Uh, great episode last night with Omari as your first guest. And, you know, I know that We Live in Color is really going to um, set the tone for, you know, how we share 
stories in our LGBTQIA communities, uh, how we share stories of those who are dealing with very specific issues in those communities. And I am grateful that you are leading the charge, my friend. Uh, great job last night. And you guys can always check out We Live in Color on Wednesday nights right here on Converge. Make sure you guys look that up. Stay in the know about all of these amazing shows we have coming up. We've also really been out here in these streets, you guys. We have been pounding the pavement, doing productions outside of the studio. Uh, I was able to catch up with Tosh Haynes uh, earlier this week. We were out there at Washington Histori History Museum, and there is an amazing exhibit right now called The Green Book. You guys got to get there to check this out. I think it ends on June 12th, I believe they said. So you want to make sure you take some time to figure out when you can go and see this exhibit. Here's what Tosh Haynes had to say about this. While we're, we're sitting here in this amazing space, you know, here at the Washington History Museum and in this exhibition of the Green Book, where there was so many photographs used to bring this together. Tell us a bit about where you say your imagery is basically timeless yeah. and how this exhibition resonates with you as a professional photographer. You're going to make me emotional. <laughs> so uh, my, my family and I got the opportunity to do the Civil Rights Trail back in February for Black History Month in partnership with Alaska Airlines. And um, it was driving through the South, which was the first time we've ever done that, that we really got to experience what it may have been like for our parents, our grandparents um, during that time. And as we were driving like the back streets into Alabama, like those country sundown roads, right, that you should not be on, we were actually driving from Birmingham to Selma at sunset. So you know, we've seen like... Um, my husband loves Lovecraft Country. So we've like seen these shows, right? And we've heard these stories. And I'm like on this backcountry road with my husband and my three little girls. And I'm thinking through like all of our ancestors and all the things that they did for us. And the pictures for me are so powerful because with one image, you get a whole story. You get a whole understanding of what's happening, right? So I, I stepped in here today and I was reading some of the quotes above the pictures and I'm just in awe of like the way they told the stories and how lucky we are to be able to have access to those stories. But also I was looking at a quote up here and I took a picture of it. It was something that was said a while ago, but it like still applies now. And so I feel like imagery and pictures, they show us how far we've come, but they also show us how far we still need to go. And I think that they're really beautiful, I guess, monuments of who we are in our history. If we didn't have these pictures, we wouldn't have a history because yeah. our histories don't necessarily make it into the books. Mm -hmm. So these pictures I think are really sacred and really important to tell our stories and especially for you know, those that are coming up after us who feel so disconnected from history or they feel like our history is, is all about being strong and resilient and not about like the beautiful things that we've accomplished or we've done or how these, these choices or these decisions that were made are why we're able to sit here and have these conversations. I think it's important that we have them.
Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, I have two sons and I hear about you, your, your three little girls. It's a beautiful thing to be a mother, um, to be stewarding these this kind of understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think cultural responsiveness um, in our next, in our children, in the next generation, right? And so I'm always instilling that kind of lesson in my sons. Like, hey, you have to understand that you're part of this legacy, yeah. that, you know, our culture didn't just start with your birth or my, you know, what you see with your grandparents. You have to understand this rich history that isn't often taught to you in the history books. And, you know, I was just talking about that, how museums really kind of steward some of that understanding and knowledge into um, our, our memories, right? Like looking at some of these photos, you go, Oh my goodness. You know, I could, I could see myself there. I could place myself in that environment. Right. And you're uh, also so right about the fact that we, still have so far to go in in, in what you do as a travel blogger, a photographer, a content creator, tell us a bit about how that, that rich history of blackness in this country resonates with your work. So that's who, man, it's, it's really loaded. Um, a loaded response for me. You said like, it's important that there's an understanding, but I also think that there's, there's a, a responsibility as well. And I think in the last couple years, I've come, I've stepped into understanding the responsibility. Um, Growing up here in the Northwest, I haven't always felt like connected to black stories or our black history because it's not like around me in the same way that it is for other people in other parts of the uh, the country, excuse Mm me. Um, But recently, a couple years ago, I found out I was Haitian. And so as I was deep diving into understanding that culture and my history there, I started to also deep dive into understanding like black American history and culture and kind of unlearning and undoing the things that I believe to be true and really kind of coming to grips with what it means to be black, especially what it means to be a black woman, especially what it means to raise black women Mm -hmm. in America. Um, And as a content creator, I feel that it's important to spend time on the beautiful parts of our story, the softness of a black woman, the softness of a black mother, the things that are not always told, the things that aren't always portrayed and bring that to the forefront. Um, As a photographer, I want to tell those stories, but as a blogger and influencer, I also want to share my story, my family story, my husband raising three little black girls. Like there are all these stereotypes about who we are and how we exist. And I feel like it's my job to scream that there's more to our story than that. And so as a creator and as a photographer, I will go above and beyond to create things that highlight the things that aren't always spoken about when it comes to black parents, black men, black women, um, and to share those things and to, to elevate them and to put them into the forefront. I, for my 40th birthday, I created a film called mm. The Romanti- Romanticization of the Black Woman. And I put all these things in this film um, to reclaim them back for us. So for example, I had these earrings and in these earrings, there was a black woman who was nursing a white baby. And in my film, I nursed my baby. And in my, in, it was my way of honoring what we had done, but also reclaiming it back for us, right? Um, 
a lot of times there's a big celebration of like white women carrying their babies, baby wearing, but we've been baby wearing since the beginning of time. So it's like taking these things and, and bringing ourselves back into the conversation. And I feel like as a creator, it's my job to push those images and those stories to the forefront. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let me just say that Tosh Haynes is fantastic and fabulous. And honestly, it was so amazing to sit there with her and to hear her perspective, not only of the Green Book, but also of her work. Um, we did some amazing interviews that day, so you guys can be looking for them. But I will say that, you know, it's something that really resonates with me as I'm uh, amongst this wall, right, here in the Black media. Media Matters Studios. And for those of you that have been here, for those of you that haven't, we have shown you that Black Media Matters, period. There's a period there uh, for us because we understand how serious it is. And when I saw the imagery out of the Green Book exhibition, I thought to myself, this right here is why our media matters so much. When we think about the ways that we capture our heritage, our rich culture, our narratives, um, oftentimes it was through oral histories. And now we have the opportunity to utilize this technology as they have done since the beginning of photography to really cement what it looks like for people to understand this is what our history, our brilliance, our culture, our resilience, this is what it looks like. And throughout, uh, you know, what we've just experienced here, random shootings, you know, black hatred, all of these things that we talk about. One of the things that always uplifts me when I walk into these doors is being fed by all of these amazing men and women behind me that really paved the way for us specifically here in Seattle. And the Green Book, understanding that we all came together to ensure that we were safe throughout this country as we traveled, uh, that we shared tips and tricks. And I don't know if you could see that there behind uh, Tosh. There was a photograph. Uh, it had a hat there as an artifact, but also had this amazing photograph and a quote there saying, you know, or, or a, a writing there saying that you always kept it with you. And they were talking about protection. They were talking about guns. You had one in the car because oftentimes that was the last resort of protecting yourself against that anti-blackness that has, you know, been at the root of this country since its inception. And I am so inspired by all of the ways that blackness has permeated um, different elements and cultures and all of that. But the way that we celebrate it uh, in, internally in the black community is something that can be felt by all. And I love the fact that right here, in King County, we have amazing organizations, institutions, individuals, performers, you know, uh, curators. We have amazing folks that are really elevating Black culture in a way that is beyond. Uh, listening to my grandmother and someone like Dr. Maxine Mims, who's 94 years old, talk about their experience here in the Pacific Northwest and how this Black community has been through so many things, but we have stayed resilient through all of them. And they are so inspired by what is going on right now in the Black community with folks like myself. And they tell me this all the time. And I get to 
really live it, y'all. And sitting there talking to Tosh Haynes, she's someone who's living it as well and exemplifying it for her daughters, but also exemplifying it for her audience. As she shared with me that she has a predominantly white audience, her purpose and her intentionality around highlighting Black creativity at its excellence is so key to how she moves and you can feel it in that room. Uh, clearly, this is something that we emanate here at Converge Media. We are about excellence and it's something that rings through for all of us. For everyone that is, uh, you know, somebody you guys are seeing on the screen, you guys cannot imagine the amount of work that we do behind the scenes to pull these shows together. But it's because we understand right now is the time for us to highlight our stories at a maximum level. I mean, we have this amazing studio, lighting, directors, best cameras on the market, right? Salman will tell you, right, Salman? You know, some of the greatest equipment and really the greatest energies coming together to make things happen here. And it's something that I am eternally grateful for being a part of this, helping to steward these stories and to share our brilliance with you all. So thank you, Tosh, for your uh, you know perspective on the Green Book. And I am telling you guys, I encourage you to please get there to Washington History Museum and check out the Green Book. And not only should you check it out, I want our people to understand the need for us to be more in included and involved um, and engaged with our local museums. Um, as I said there, you know, museums really are another layer of anchoring some of that culture and history, bringing it to uh, different audiences that may not understand it, that may not be from it, that may not know it. And people are able to walk away with a real true perspective. And you can't deny the imagery, right? You can't deny the artifacts you see in an exhibition like that. You go through something like that and you walk away with a greater understanding of what black resilience and black culture looks like uh, for those of you who are outside of that culture. But I will say that, you know, museums historically also suffer from, you know, uh, black families being engaged. They just do. And um, as I spoke to museum staff there, they said, this is what we want is we want more families. We want y'all coming in here. We want you to understand that this space is for you. And far too often, museums have honestly excluded our stories, right? And so you may have gone a couple of times with family and never saw yourself represented, never saw a reflection of yourself. But ultimately, there are some amazing staff folks working behind the scenes to really remedy that, to eliminate that, and to make sure that these spaces are just as inclusive as any other space where you feel safe. So I encourage you to check out Washington History Museum. I also encourage you to check out other museums in our area. You know, we talk about Mohai a lot because they really are a partner with us here at Converge and they do a phenomenal job of ensuring that their doors are also also open in an inclusive way. So I just want to encourage you guys, go check out your local museums. Make sure you check out the Green Book exhibition before it closes in mid-June. Uh, I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed, you all. Well, after this short break, coming up, we have J.R. Rhodes, singer, songwriter, and dreamer. I love that title. And we're going to be talking to J.R. about all of her work as a singer, a songwriter. And you know, I got to dive into 
how she sees herself as a dreamer. Stay tuned after this short break. You're watching The Morning Update Show. Everyone's invited to the prom. From the creators of the Book of Mormon, Elf and the Drowsy Chaperone, The Prom is a musical comedy about big Broadway stars on a mission to change the world and the love they discover that unites them all. The Prom makes you believe in musical comedy again. So full of happiness that you think your heart is about to burst. Everyone deserves a chance to celebrate. On sale now. Tickets at FifthAvenue.org. As a non-binary black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with black folks to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update show. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, for the day. And joining me right now is J.R. Rhodes, singer, songwriter, and dreamer. What's up, J.R.? Hi, Trey. <laughs> How are you? Really well. I'm so happy to be here. You know, we're happy to have you. I mean, we got to talk to some folks at Northwest Folk Live. We got to talk to Ben and Reese about this amazing festival coming up. But before we get into it, uh, you know, I, I wanted to show that clip of Tosh Haynes before I talk to you because Tosh to me was really representing black excellence. And I know that you do that in the work that you do. And so um, I saw you there getting a little emotional because, you know, it, it's the story that so many of us actually share. Tell me a bit about what that meant to you when you were hearing what Tosh was saying about her work in that exhibit? She felt like a sister. This, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Okay. Like I'm, I'm archiving my family's history. Um, just real quick. Like I'm the last one standing of my core family. So I've lost both my sisters and both my parents. Right. So I've kind of, kind of like coming back to life. It feels like, like that, you know, that song back to life, <laughs> you know, and like, like I have a second chance at life because I wasn't really sure I wanted to be around and I was actually planning on not being around at one point. But music saved my life, right? And uh, um, and I feel like I need to pay it forward. And the way to pay it forward is um, telling my story, my family's story. So like I have like 30 something boxes left. And it's funny, like for a while I was like really deep into it. I take breaks, you know, cause it's pretty deep, but it seems really important work. Um, but like people be like, you know, it's a sunny day, come do this. It's like, like I'm moving furniture around. It's like, this is like important work. Like I feel grateful. It was hard at first, but now I feel um, really happy. Like I feel honored. Like I get to uh, steward my family story, which is my story. Like I'm getting pieces of myself back. Like, I, like the last few years, it's been a blur. Taking care of family, walking alongside them, long goodbyes, you know. Um, so that was just really, really beautiful. And I'm, I'm a girl's girl. Like me and my, my parents split up. You know, they they were always in love with each other, but their marriage, it just wasn't working out, right? But um, so I I was I mostly hung out with my mom and my sisters and we were tight, you know. And 
my younger sister, Susan, is really, she's really funny. Like <laughs> she never met a stranger and, and people just, she just make you laugh. Like my mom had to go down to school. She went to Roosevelt High School and my mom had to actually go down and have talks with all of her teachers because they were passing her. She's like, no, she's got to earn this. That's great. You love my daughter. And, you, you know what I mean? and so Susan was funny. My older sister, Dawn, she just took care of business. She was always top salesperson wherever she went, Nordstrom, Microsoft, whatever. And it's because she really, she saw sales as teaching and she would never sell anybody anything, even if she thought that they would benefit from it. She just had really great, just a really sense of ethics and integrity. So I learned a lot from my family and, and it's like, and my mom just, she was just love, you know? People just wouldn't want to leave our house. She saw you, you know what I mean? So that's part of the, you know, it's like the tear it up part. Like, you know, just think of, I think of my mother's love um, she stayed around longer than the doctors thought she would. They would shake their heads. It's like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? And I got it. She loved me. And she was, she wanted to make sure I was okay. Cause she was the last one to go. So like that really touched me and it's, you know, I really want to see her film and, uh, check out that exhibit. Um, it's just stories. They're so important. You know, I feel so like um, empowered and, and more than like and uplifted. Do you know what I mean? Like she's talking about the, the beautiful parts of it. Cause it's not all sad. Right. You know, there's some funny stuff in there. I think like right lately, I just, I wake up laughing. This is thinking about the stories, you know, it's like, Susan and Don had this thing that they were both fashionistas. I was the tomboy, right? <laughs> Same uniform every day. Like my friends dressed me. They'd have like interventions for me. Like they'd be like, <laughs> okay, we're going to go shopping with you and help you out. But like, so they would argue like, cause Susan would take Don's clothes without telling Don. And then she'd show us pictures cause she loved taking pictures. Right. And she'd be busted cause she's <laughs> she'd be busted. She just, you know, so anyway, stories, you know what I mean? They're so important. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is why I love what I do. Uh, literally yeah. this morning, uh, today is my dad's birthday. Oh. Happy birthday, daddy. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> phenomenal family, and and um, mm. I'm the oldest of four, and oh, uh, uh, and my on my mom's side, and, and who I was raised with, and my dad's side, I have I have two two siblings on that side too. Oh. Uh, shout out to y'all. Um, I will <laughs> say um, that you know, celebrating my dad this morning, uh, my brother, uh, who I'm just so close with, you know, he said to me today. Oh, you have one of the coolest jobs, you know, he's like, you just, you have one of the coolest jobs and he sees me. Um, we, we live together. So he sees me working very hard. Right. It's one of those things where, um, he's like, Oh my God, you know, do you have time to just watch this movie with me or like play this <laughs> game, you know, board game or, and I'm like, sorry, I'm on a call. Sorry. I'm, you know, and he's just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, sorry, I got to dip out. Like, um, but, but, 
that resilience of family is just so real. And I'm glad that it touched you like that because it touched me like that. Mm -hmm. I think all of us, we have, no matter what your family structure is, you have a story, right? Right, So you're so right about those Mm -hmm. stories and the importance of them. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you for stewarding your family's stories um, as being the, the surviving member. And I know that your family is looking down on you like, that's what I'm talking about. Get it, JR. Well, well tell us a bit about you as a, a performer, as an artist, mm-hmm. um, as a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you take some of your lived experience into your work in that regard? Um, I'll give you examples. Um, I think of my sister Susan. I wrote a song for her called Afro Queen Stare. Um, she, uh, Right before she passed away, she um, took her own life. Um, she uh, she wasn't really with you. Do you know what I mean? You look at her, but she was she was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. She just kind of checked out. She gave up on life. You know, she couldn't make sense of it. She wanted to be a writer, and um, you know, I just think that you know it it is what it is. People's paths are their paths. I just. I look around and I see people like you and you know what you all are doing. She wanted to be a writer, you know, but she had this faraway look and it was like, uh, I don't know, maybe like two, a couple of weeks before she passed. And I just sat down this one sunny afternoon. I was just playing my guitar. I just think of my songs more as meditations. Mm-hmm. I like to take people places. And um, the song's called Afro Queen Stare. And it's, it's like, I recall the first day I lay, lay eyes on you, brown brown crown of hair, Afro Queen stare. Because that's one of my first memories is like my mom coming home with Susan. She, we were two years apart. We shared a, bit, a bedroom and stuff. And so it's, I think of the song as a, like a lullaby. It was for me because my heart was breaking, you know. Um, and I never got to play it for her because she passed soon after I wrote it. But I wrote it in like an afternoon. Wow. It just came through. And I think the song was really for me, you know. Um, so when I sing it, I'm definitely singing it to her. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think of it as a lullaby for the independent soul. People who like um, feel lost, not seen. And, and the bridge goes... Um, Anywhere you are, it's all right tonight. Mm. You know, so I just, I do my best to have songs that have a message. Um, They're not always that heavy, but um, I like to definitely include a message. I, I just wrote a recent song, like I said, Back to Life, right? So I'm, I'm preparing for two new albums and one is going to be, it's, it's focused on, um, the works of women of color. Um, and uh, it's going to include two songs that I've already debuted at Benaroy Hall that I, when I opened for Alice Walker, I wrote a song based on her poem called Ancestors Never Sleep. And um, then the first time I played Benaroy Hall was opening for Nikki Giovanni. And it's this is a really sweet song based on her poem, The Fly on the Wall. That was a fun one to write. But recently I've written... Um, so that's that's that album, and then the next album, it's gonna be around uh, um, spirituals, 
slave songs and lullabies. I think this work was, my sense it's eventually going to take me to Africa because there's like a genealogical aspect to all of this. So, um, but then recently I wrote a song because I'm getting back in the studio. I was just like, you know, it's kind of been just to get, get back in flow. Um, so I went in the studio and recorded the song. It's called One is the Number of Love. And it's for, it's dedicated to my friend Amy, who's the first lesbian I ever met. Like my family was really scared for me because like, it's like, oh no, our, our sweet black child, she's tender hearted. How is she going to make it in the world? They're scared. Yeah. You know, it's just like I get talked about too, like about, you know, you're being too nice mm. kind of deal. Scared. But anyway, this song is called One is the Number of Love. And I wrote it for my first lesbian friend, Amy. Mm. And it's like, it's about being seen. And it's like, it's kind of like a, it's like a, no song I've ever written before. It's got, got this like poppy thing to it. But it starts off with like, you looked me in the eye, nowhere I could hide. You saw me. Let's see. Now I, now I see you and I as one. No question of our heart, in my heart, of our love being. You got my number. You can call me. And then, and then it starts, and then it gets into this dancey part. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like to do, you know what I mean? And I'm going to release it for pride. Yeah. Amazing. And I shared it with Amy. That was really sweet because we went to school together. So it's kind of, it's a lot of things. Well, you know, like many artists, I mean, you know, you talk about how you are your work right like like a hundred percent and that's what i hear you right. saying there right where it's like there's really no beginning or ending there you know no no um line of mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. distinction necessarily mm -hmm. um which is mm -hmm. i think why music when, when they talk about music you know being a part of the soul mm -hmm. that's really why i think because so much of it is mm -hmm. the essence of the artist it's the essence mm -hmm. of the songwriter it's mm -hmm. coming through in a way that is going to permeate you because mm -hmm. we all have these opportunities for shared lived experience. Right, right. And, and through music, we get to really understand that, I think, mm -hmm. more thoroughly. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about this song being a little bit poppy. How mm -hmm. are most of your songs, like what would you, what kind of genre of music do you say you create? <laughs> I go to a lot of places. Like, um, I would say my earlier work is more folk, mm -hmm. right? Me playing acoustic guitar and singing, and um, mostly by candlelight. And uh, and then I've got an album that's uh, kind of more. Um, I kind of went to Africa a little bit. Like I, I was playing. I played with my friend Leif Todesek. You may know him. Be I mean, he. Yeah, he knows music of color and, you know, he's played in Haiti, he knows jazz. And so we played together and it was rubbing off on me. And I've also studied West African drumming. So it's like I love just exploring those rhythms. They're just they, they're just like, whoa, there's some serious spirit there. Right. So I have an album that's like really kind of goes there, but it's kind of full. I just I jump around. And then my most current album that I would describe is more like folk rock. Mm -hmm. I went in with a band drum, bass, guitar, keyboards, had some harmony vocalists come in, strings. So, but this next album, the next one coming up, yeah, I woke up one morning, I definitely follow my dream. So I woke up one morning, um, 
I just take notes now. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I don't argue. You know what I mean? It's just like, I just take notes. It's like, oh, this next album is going to be a cinematic folk album. It's like, I don't know what that means. You know what I mean? But I'm excited. And that's part of it because I get to go on this journey and I get to learn from the process and I get to create something that who knows what it will be, but. Yeah, so That's music beautiful. takes me to lots of places. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that, that really leads into my next question because you know uh-huh. I had to dive in. I uh-huh. love when someone says they are a dreamer mm-hmm. because it means something mm-hmm. very unique and specific to mm-hmm. that person, right? Huh. It, it's it, There's some things I think that are unifying in that regard, but mm-hmm. there's also so much that's very specific, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So tell us what it means to you when you say, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. singer-songwriter and I'm also a dreamer. Tell us a bit about that dreamer part. Well, I've always had this message written across my heart. And it's like to inspire others to choose their lives. And it's I've it's taken me a while to figure out what that means. Do you know what I mean? But it's always I've always come back to it. And um because I think a meaningful life is is what it's about, you know, choosing and creating your life. That's what you're doing, right? So um, I do my best to inspire people to choose their lives. And I, I'm really mindful of the words that I use. Should, that's not in my vocabulary anymore, can't. Um, you know, it's like it may take a little while and I may need to figure it out a little longer. So what, you know, um, let go of, I like what Tosh was saying, unlearning, you know, and, and relearn. Um, so it's, that's one aspect of it. And the more practical aspect of it is like, I have entrepreneurs on both sides of the family. My grandmother on my dad's side, Pinky May, they, she and my grandfather, Jesse Hamilton Rhodes Sr. Owned Rhodes Grocery on um, 11, 1123. It was Empire Way South. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's now Martin Luther King Way. And I used to work there. My sisters wouldn't work with my grandmother. She did the tough love thing. She had me crying a few times because <laughs> she wanted, she's scared for me and wanted me to succeed and take care of myself. So I get it. Um, but anyway, I worked at that store and uh, my dad would bring up, uh, oh, people would fly in. Like They had a sausage recipe that they made up and people would fly in. This was real like people would drive up in their Cadillacs and they're wearing their furs and like buy like pounds and pounds of the sausage to drive back down to California yeah. and people would fly in and I'd, I'd work with the side by side with her we'd make crackling bread um, and hog cheese um, and I'd help her with the sausage so um, yeah and then uh on my mom's side, I I want to learn more about that, but I know that uh, they owned restaurants. They lived in California. And my dad would bring up, he'd bring up like foods from down south. So like watermelons, the red and the yellow mm. and, um, and blackstrap molasses, pecans. And he would um, sell them out and you 
festivals and stuff. So you really come from a family of dreamers, right? Like that mm-hmm. are just like, we're going to dream it up and then do it, mm-hmm. which I love mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. honestly, you know, what you were saying earlier, um, it just really strikes me every day I end the show telling people to see themselves as a part of the solution. Uh-huh. And it's just kind of my way of exactly what you said, like choosing uh-huh. your own life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like whatever that means for you, because mm-hmm. it means different things to mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if we're all doing that, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. there's something that I inherently believe in um, if we're all doing that we're all doing our part in that regard right Right. whatever it looks like whatever it means and it takes Mm -hmm. on different forms for all of us so Mm -hmm. I really that resonates with me of choosing your own life I agree Mm -hmm. a thousand percent and I think we all have that opportunity Mm -hmm. and we just have to know that it exists for us right we just have to know that we can reach out and grab it. We can bring it mm-hmm. into ourselves so we can become that thing. Mm-hmm. We can be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so much of what I do in my life and in community is really about exemplifying that. Right. right. And so I really appreciate you mm-hmm. saying that. Well, you know, people can come and check you out mm-hmm. at this festival happening. It starts no, tomorrow. So Tell us a yeah. bit about your connection to Northwest Folklife and this amazing festival. It's the 51st annual festival. So it's this is really so, exciting. Yeah. It's one of my favorite festivals. It just feels like community. Do you know what I mean? It's like everybody's connecting and expanding themselves by, you know, exploring different musics or crafts and stuff. And you got the families and it just has always had a great vibe, you know? For me, anyway, and I'm so glad it's still around. And Benjamin, like we, our paths just cross here and there. And it's funny because he, <laughs> he like reached out to me about coming on the show, and I just said yes, like I was telling you earlier, because I, I just adore him and what he stands for, you know. So I just said yes, and I'm like, oh, it's it's all this, <laughs> you know. What I mean? And so, so that was cool, and um. I was like, oh, that's right. You you had folk life now. And anyway, so I get to play folk life and um, Saturday, May 28th at 6 p.m. And I play two sets. And this is really funny, like how this turned out. I sing harmony vocals on Jim Page. He's a singer-songwriter around here. He's been around for like mm-hmm. ever. He, he was the guy who got busking legalized mm, in Seattle, wow. right? He's 74, I think, and he's just put out his 24th album. Wow. And I he invited me to sing harmony vocals, which is an absolute honor. He's a he's a spitfire, this man. It's just wow. like it just gets so inspired and energized hanging out with him. So like I asked Hans Toiber, the first set, I would go on at Fisher's stage at 6 p.m. The first set is is uh, me and Hans Toiber joins me on Woodwinds, right? And then I ask Hans, I'm like, hey, Hans, you know, are you around? Do you want to play <laughs> Folklife with me? And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, and you know that, you know, Jim's playing right after you on the same stage. I was like, really? I did not know that. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> he goes, well, if I play with both of you, because he's playing with Hans, with Jim, and he's, um, anyway, so I get to do both of those wow. sets. I'm really excited. And yeah, Jim's album is absolutely beautiful. It's folk, but it's like he's got this jazz thing going. Yeah, he's a trippy dude. 
Well, it sounds like, you know, the folks are going to be able to really take in some amazing artists and some performers that, um, as you said, really have been doing it for years. And for me, there's something so exciting about a seasoned artist, right? Like you just know they're going to come and they're going to do their thing and they're going to kill it. And so uh, I'm so (laughs) glad, JR Rhodes, that you are a part of this 51st Mm. annual Northwest Northwest Folklife, you know, uh, festival. This is going to be exciting. Starting mm-hmm. tomorrow, um, I thank you so much for joining me right now mm-hmm. today on the Morning Update Show. Your story was so inspiring. Thank mm-hmm. you for being authentically you uh, mm-hmm. during this time. I appreciate you. And now you know where we are. You know Converge Media. Tell your I friends. Know. Tell your family. I tell am. everybody. Make sure like they know. Yeah, I was <laughs> Make sure everybody them. knows. Yeah, they can come I and will. check you out, but they can also mm-hmm. know that we're here doing these stories and being very intentional and purposeful mm-hmm. about yeah. what we do here in terms of sharing and uplifting stories so thank you so much if folks want to catch up with you your music look right there in that camera let them know how they find you and how they catch up with your music okay you can follow me at um my new website jrrhodesco.com so that's j-r-r-h-o-d as in david e-s-c-o.com Right on. Yeah. J.R. Rhodes, thank you so much. Thank you it's been so an honor. Much a pleasure. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys. Uh, talk about amazing show. I thought it was going to be short, but it was not. That was amazing. Uh, you guys, make sure you guys go check out Northwest Folklife and their website so that you guys can get the know about these shows coming up this weekend. Starts tomorrow, so you want to check it out tonight. Make sure you're prepared. It is a three-day festival. It's going to go on all week. Weekend, and I'm excited. The 51st annual Northwest Folk Life Festival. You guys don't want to miss out. Clearly, J.R. Rhodes is going to be there tearing the house down. It sounds like we're going to have a lot of other amazing performers in the building. So make sure you guys go check it out. Um, stay tuned after this short break. Coming up, we got the Rollback Thursday with SJJT from the Black Heritage Society. Stay tuned, you guys. You're watching the Morning Update Show. Hello, history lovers and all you curious folks out there who are interested in this fantastic mural wall behind me at Converge Media Studio. If it's Thursday, it's Throwback Thursday. And my name is Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. I am president at the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. Can you see the photo of the Boy Scout Troop number 14 with Scoutmaster James Washington Jr.? This was in 1946. Not the way most will remember the legacy of James Washington Jr. He was a renowned sculptor, artist, who made his home in Seattle, Washington in 1944 with his wife, Janie. They bought a home in Madison Valley and created a studio there for him too. I have a story to tell. James and Janie Washington lived across the street from my grandparents. And next door to my grandparents lived the grandparents of Waikin Garrett. It was a vibrant black community in the Madison Valley at that time. I won't date myself, but you know, it was the 1950s. I could hear what was happening behind the fence that sounded like somebody was hammering and pounding away at something. I had no idea that Mr. Washington was creating this fabulous work, this fabulous art, and it wasn't until years later that I understood what he was doing. 
I did know about Janie because Janie and my grandmother both baked for Mount Zion Baptist Church. Mr. Washington had several jobs before finding his way as an artist. He took art classes at the University of Washington and had artist friends who went on to be well-known in their own right. Toby, Graves, Callahan, and others. In 1951, he took a life-changing trip to Mexico. This is where he met muralist Diego Rivera and was introduced to sculpting. He never looked back. James and Janie Washington were civically engaged and immersed themselves in the church life at Mount Zion Baptist Church. James also involved himself at CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality, and the NAACP. Janie became a nurse and inspired the spirituality that shaped her husband's work. Much of Mr. Washington's art is found locally in downtown Seattle, at Carolyn Downs Family Medical Center, and at Mount Zion Church. And recently, his Fountain of Triumph came back to the new development at Midtown at 23rd and Union. In 1992, the Washington home was designated as the City of Seattle landmark. James and Janie Washington willed that after their deaths, the home should become a cultural center and the studio should be available for future artists to hone their craft. Leading today at the James and Janie Washington Cultural Center with all her passion and respect for the Washingtons is Reverend Dr. Laverne Hall. On March 24th, the National Trust of Historic Preservation announced that the Washington Cultural Center would be recognized as a prestigious and historic site as important to celebrating the diversity of artistic legacy in our nation. So not just Seattle, but our nation. You can visit the Cultural Center by appointment. Check out their website for the details. If these walls could talk, you heard it here. Amazing as always. And it's so inspiring when there is a story that connects with me. And I'll just say that Mr. Washington's wife, I've been able to see her connect with her in community. The idea that, you know, the history and the legacy is so strong and powerful. I'm telling you, there's so many iconic people on this wall behind me. Thank you again, SJT, for always being our steward of these amazing stories of legacy and culture and brilliance that we sit upon every single day. Uh, I will say that it's just a, a great, great uh, opportunity for us to learn. Uh, we talk about how important it is for us to understand, you know, iconic figures in our history throughout the country. But there's something so unique and special about this city and its legacy of Black heritage and culture. And I will say that, you know, one of the 
the things I appreciate so much about our partnership with the Black Heritage Society is that we really get to learn every single Thursday about more and more of that rich history. And it's a beautiful thing because we get to go by and visit these spaces. We get to go by and see some of this. The fact that that is a historical site, their old home down there in the Madison Valley, now dedicated to this cultural vibrancy of artistic works is something that we should all be so proud of, especially in the waves of gentrification and realizing that our neighborhood was so valuable to everyone else. You know, when we talk about how important it is that this history is now infused into new development projects, into new buildings, I appreciate Midtown Center for being one of those spaces that understood that charge. Um, it's something that they have the opportunity to do and maybe one of the first times they've ever done it uh, for Lake Union Partners. And I've talked about that before, but the idea that they were like, we need to do this. We need to understand more. We need to do what we can because some of these, you know, apartment homes will not be available really financially or affordable to those uh, that have historically called the Central District their home. And so, you know, it's going to be on us to understand the infusion right now. You know, how do we get to do do something that really shines a light on that amazing legacy and resilience while also, you know, catering to the community of today. Uh, so I, I'll say that it's just a great thing to know that, you know, that again, this wall is representative of so many amazing Black folks here throughout the Pacific Northwest. And I just can't thank you enough, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, for your knowledge and for stewarding the, the work of Black Heritage Society. Thank you to you and your entire team. Of course, that leaves us all the way to the end of the show today, you guys. I thank you all for sticking with us today and listening to the story of J.R. Rhodes and Tosh Haynes and of course that amazing throwback Thursday. We wanted to end it on that note for you all today because again, this wall right here represents brilliance and I'm so grateful that I get to be in front of it every single day with you all in the audience. For me, of course, I want you to be inspired. You guys can hear it from J.R. Rhodes herself that there is something that she is doing that is so phenomenal by continuing to steward her family's story. She could decide, nope, it's too painful, don't want to do that, but she's digging through those boxes. She's finding a way to ensure that her family's legacy and culture is thriving today through her and her works. So you guys be inspired. Um, you know, Tosh Haynes talked about herself as an example and a photographer and, and a travel blogger and needing to showcase her life in a way that inspires her daughters to really see themselves and to understand themselves in this world we live in. I want you all to be inspired to do the same. Find a way to see yourself as a part of the solution. And of course, tonight, uh, we got Clapback Culture coming up tonight at 7 p.m. right here on Converge Media. You guys make sure you check out Jules and Mike Davis as they dive into all of the popular topics. I'm telling you, they get to talk about things we don't right here, so you don't want to miss out on that tonight at 7 p.m. Thank you to Jules and Mike for your hard effort on that show, and thank you to everybody who fills in as an audience member. Give them your comments. They love it when you talk about what's going on too, so they can put your comments in and talk about them. So please join in in that amazing show tonight at 7 p.m. Of course, as Omari says, you all go forward in your purpose, go forward in your humanity. Until tomorrow for a Feel Good Friday at 11 a.m. Peace. 
produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.